Welcome to International Business Radio, broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel Studios in Atlanta and worldwide across the PBC syndicated networks. This episode made possible in part by Tempest, simplifying global payments in over 130 currencies. For more info, visit TempestFX.com. And now let's welcome our guests and your host for today's episode. Thank you for joining us for the second podcast on International Business Radio. My name is Tom Rossland. I am the Honorary Consul for the Kingdom of Sweden. I am also a business attorney at Bodker Ramsey Andrews, Wintergrad and Wildstein here in Atlanta. I've been there for 29 years, and I am here in the studio today uh, with the Consul General of Mexico, Javier Diaz de Leon, and founder and CEO of Goza Tequila, Jacob Gluck, and chief economist and adjunct professor of global finance, trading at the New England College of Business and Finance, Dr. John Min. Um, and I would just like to say that uh, you know, during our initial inaugural podcast, we had the Consul General of uh, Canada, Nadia Theodore, with us, talking about the trade relationships between the U.S., specifically Georgia and Canada. So this is an ideal opportunity to get uh, a view from the other side of the border and the perspectives. So maybe we could just start off. This is an open conversation, but maybe with Consul General Diaz, could you tell us a little bit about the nature of the trade relationship between Georgia and the U.S.? Well, uh, of course, uh, first of all, the nature of the trade relationship between the United States and Mexico is one of the largest trade relationships in the world, as I'm sure probably my, 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 we, you have uh, seen some of the numbers before. But uh, to put it in, in the first in the larger perspective, Mexico is the third largest trade partner of the United States in the world. Uh, uh, the total trade between the U.S. and Mexico is over $550 billion per year. And last year, 2017, it was around $557 billion. That's about a billion and a half per day is being traded between Mexico and the United States. Uh, so we're talking about a, a significant relationship. And on the other side, we are, the, yes, the third largest trade partner of the United States, but at the same time, Mexico is the second buyer of U.S. goods from the United States. Uh, the number one uh, trade partner for the United States is China, number two is Canada, but uh, number three is Mexico. However, if we look in terms of uh, countries that are, you know, buyers of U.S. products in the world, for example, Mexico's, uh, you, the United States exports uh, to Mexico are over $240 billion, while the U.S. exports to China are only $130 billion. So uh, in that sense, uh, and what we need to understand, is, it's very important to understand, is that the nature of this trade relationship that we have built in the past 20, over 20 years in North America is very different from the sort of trade relationship that exists with other parts of the world. Because what is usually happening between us, by us I mean Canada, United States, and Mexico, is that we are usually trading with each other uh, uh, manufacturing goods. We are not usually trading with each other finished goods. Uh, 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 and that is a key element to understand about the nature of our, of our trade relationship. Uh, for example, every single product that Mexico exports to the world, 40% of that product is American content. 40% of that product is American content. In the case of Canada, it would be 25%. But if you compare that to, for example, Chinese products that are exported to the rest of the world, American content is somewhere between 2 or 3%. Which that makes a total difference. Uh, because what we are really trading with each other are manufacturing goods towards uh, the creation that we have built. Parts. 
parts that we have created, uh, a, a, you know, a manufacturing, uh, uh, um, you know, a power in the world that is probably one of the most efficient, if not the most efficient manufacturing region in the world. We don't talk about it a lot, but that's what we have. You, you asked about Georgia, and I, you know, I've been answering a little bit about you know, the larger trade relationship. But in the, terms of, in, in the case of Georgia, with this relationship that I just described for the United States, of course, it reflects itself on the Georgia relationship, too. <clears throat> so in the case of the Georgia and, and, and Mexico, trade is over $9 billion. Mexico is also the second buyer of Georgia goods in the world. And what Georgia and Mexico are trading with each other, of course, yes, we, we buy peaches and you buy tequila and avocados. <laughs> yes, true. Yeah, we do that and we, are, we love that. We have no problem with that. Um, however, the real story of our trade relationship is not usually about avocados and peaches. It's usually about parts, about, about electronics, about machinery, about uh, car, car, uh, car parts and, and, the part of the, and the way we have a supply chain that is being established between companies that operate here in Georgia and companies that operate in Mexico and com American companies operating in Mexico and Mexican companies operating in the United States connected to this supply chain. It's impressive. And I think you mentioned you had a passing reference to tequila as part of the trade uh, of relationship. <laughs> good segue. And a good segue here, Jacob, with uh, Goza Tequila. Tell us a little bit about your experience with trading with Mexico and, sure. and the currency issues that come up with that. Sure, absolutely. So I'm Jacob. I'm the founder and CEO of Goza Tequila. We are headquartered here in Atlanta. And people often say, they make tequila in Atlanta? <laughs> no, no, we no. don't make tequila in Atlanta. And exactly, uh, it's against the law to do so. So we have a long history with trading with Mexico, a, a good history. We have uh, amazing partners in Jalisco in Mexico. So m maybe not everyone knows, but tequila has to come from a certain region of Mexico to be called tequila, mostly in Jalisco, though not all in Jalisco. Um, I believe the tequila business uh, at large is about $3 billion dollars. Um, it's grown about seven or eight percent every year for the last, you know, year over year for the last 10 or 15 years. Uh, we really uh, obviously value our relationship with Mexico. It's very, very important. We've had a great experience. But, you know, the lifeblood of our company really is um, it's really an operational story as much as anything else. You know, people think a lot about the branding aspects of tequila and uh But at the end of the day, it's you know if it's not on the shelf, you can't get it off the shelf. You know, people say you need a wrapper or some superstar to sell your stuff, but the truth is, you you really need a, a good supply chain, good logistics brokers, um, people who understand uh, the relationship between the two countries can actually fill the bottles and uh, make the bottles, which is made in Mexico as well, mm -hmm. um, and get it across the border. So our relationship with Mexico uh, has been great, but obviously, I mean, it's, it's pretty much the lifeblood of our business. And John, I'm just wondering from your perspective, when you're talking about the currency issues that come up with uh, an importing business like uh, <clears throat> Jacobs, what would you say are the relevant factors to consider? Well, um, one of the things we have to recognize is that the market has been extremely volatile. Uh, mm -hmm. In many respects, I have a small confession to make in the in a broadcast. I've been working with the same economic models for the past 20 years to some extent. I've been following the currency markets. All that reliable relationship has broken down around 2015 and 16. Hmm. So if you look at, we were talking about Mexico, if you look at dollar and Mexico relationship, all I had to do was track the oil price to a certain extent and commodity prices, hmm. and it was pretty good reliable indicator. That relationship just exploded in 2016. Hmm. So oil price began to recover 2016. 
lot of businesses that we work with at Tempest, they thought the Mexican peso would get stronger. Well, Mexican peso had one of the worst year against the dollar. It was minus 22%. And That's I know you were talking about machine tool companies that we work with a lot of companies in Michigan and Ohio, and they got this very sophisticated mm -hmm. supply chain management. They build stuff in Mexico, bring it to the United States. They put it together and send it back to Mexico. And you're absolutely right to some extent. It's a block. It's a manufacturing block uh, system mm -hmm. to make it efficiency. Mm -hmm. What they're operating with, the margins of 10 to 12% on average. Mm -hmm. And if the currency is fluctuating 22%, I mean, we're talking with a lot of CFOs and CEOs and controllers. They just don't know what to do. And in fact, 2017, the, one of the worst currencies in the market relative to dollars a peso a year before, it was one of the best performing currencies. So a lot of our clients and businesses got a whiplash. And going into 2018, if you ask me where, where do you think the Mexican peso will go to run your business, I really don't know because our models are based on economic fundamentals mm -hmm. like growth and inflation, uh, the productivity rates and things like that. But now it's all political noise. And I know we're going to talk about, to some extent, NAFTA and the presidential election coming up. But right now the market is so sensitive. So we're seeing extreme volatility in the market. So just sitting around for 30 days with an invoice from Mexico – the price of that invoice could fluctuate anywhere from 3 to 4% during the course of the month. And if your operating profit margin is 10%, which is the industry average for mm -hmm. most of the machine shops and machine tool companies, we're looking at 50% of your profit, expected profit, is at a risk in every 30 days in the foreign exchange market. And that hurts both countries. Right. I mean, it it depends on it. which side of the market, right? Because right. we know a lot of clients. It can hurt both countries, yeah, I suppose. We know a lot of clients, they executed their business plan perfectly in 2017, but they had no profit to show for it because they didn't hedge. They didn't expect the Mexican peso to perform so well. Yeah. Because at January, we thought the Mexican peso was going to fall apart completely. Uh, but now it's one of the strongest currencies relatively. Um, against the dollar up till then. So a lot of people were off card. We call it the, it was the major head fake mm. in the currency market. So right now we're fine-tuning the economic model to see which way they is going to go. But our crystal ball is very cloudy because we got these elections coming up, and no one's talking about the November election that's coming up in the United States. And we expect that to really change the uh, Especially the talk around the trade and everything else. I think, and I think I, I would uh, I would underline what what Jacob just said. That is that of course instability hurts consumers in the end. Especially no investment. Of yeah, course, exactly. It's hard so, to invest. So of course, if investment uh, has you know uh, suffers and has uh, uncertainty in yep. front of them, uh, that will have a toll on on investment and that will have a toll on employment, and uh, and uh, in, and if of course things like currency uh, are unstable, then we have the danger of that translating into costs into the cost uh, on the on the cost of products and and customers will end up paying for that uh, and that's exactly what we are I was I was talking about it a little bit before in the sense that we have been able for the past 20 over years to create a very competitive uh, manufacturing mm -hmm. consumer market the, mo the the first beneficiaries of this uh, success story that we think has happened because of NAFTA has been the consumers in North America because they have better products at better prices because of this very efficient manufacturing process that we have been able to build. If we start, you know, creating all these factors that will create instability and uncertainty about it, 
that's what is going to happen. Our consumers, our people, our manufacturing base is going to suffer. And yeah, people, so, and people need their tequila. <laughs> <laughs> You know, let's be honest. We all do. That's the most important thing to take away from this conversation. Lately, we we needed a lot. Exactly. Well, we were talking earlier, you know, that tequila is interesting because it's not like manufacturing parts in the sense you can only get tequila from Mexico. Yep. So, so if if there's instability in the market, I mean, it really what are the big business. yeah? What are the tequila companies going to do? Not stop yeah, selling yeah. tequila. So, you know, those costs inevitably will most likely have to be passed to the consumer. Of course. Yeah, we can't go elsewhere. Now, we don't have the uh, macro data at this point, but we do talk to a lot of businesses all over the United States who, who have a big presence in Mexico. And we could tell right away they are holding back on their investment mm-hmm. because it's really hard for them to budget anything that's six months out or even 12 months out. Of course. And especially when it comes to machine tool industry, they signed the contract but they don't produce and build and deliver maybe six months, nine months later. I understand. The nine months in the foreign exchange market is a lifetime. And you're talking about currency. Exactly. Imagine if we consider this sunset clause that has been discussed in the NAFTA negotiations. Oh, that's right. That has been proposed seriously by one of the parts. Is it five years, they're thinking? Yes. So they're they're proposing a five-year clause that means that every five years, all three countries uh, terminate NAFTA and sit down and consider whether we renew it again. Imagine that's going to be hard to do business. Exactly. So you're not going to build a plant. You're not going to hire people. Exactly. So if you're putting that on the table, that basically means you don't understand the way investment and 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 who is putting that on the table? America or or Mexico? I'll tell you one thing. I have a feeling it's. I will will tell you one thing. America. It is not Mexico. I had a feeling it wasn't Mexico. It is not Mexico. And Javier, going to the point about uncertainty, that creates exactly the uncertainty that affects all the business and trade flows and investment decisions that of course. So so. so what we want and what we need is to keep, uh, keep uh, you know, of course, we need to review this agreement because, of course, it's not, it's a 20-something-year-old agreement. The world now is very different from what it was in the early 90s when we, when we did this. There was no e-commerce then. The energy sector was not, in, was so not you open So you do believe that, that there needs to be a review? Of course. Yeah, it, it needs to be reviewed. It needs to be updated. Uh, the thing is that Mexico and Canada... We thought that we had already done that because we had negotiated TPP. And, ah. we, and we had negotiated TPP with the United States. TPP is basically a 21st century agreement right. On, right. What, on what 21st century trade in the world should look like. And for our audience, that would be a trans-Pacific partnership. The trans-Pacific right. partnership. Right. And the U.S., Mexico, and Canada were part of the initial com- – I mean, from the beginning of the negotiation of the TPP. So that is if – you, if, you, if you ask me what does it – 21st century trade agreement looks like should look like we have a very good answer look at t- that's tpp now however unfortunately the united states is not part of that anymore but but that's what we had so when when tpp went out of the window and and then we realized then we do need to renegotiate nafta because we thought we already had done that uh, so what does so what does a new renegotiator NAFTA looks like? It needs it means that we need to update it. We need to consider sectors that were not included in that from the beginning. We need to to know to look at things like e-commerce. We need to include the energy sector because the energy sector in Mexico was not open to investment to to a foreign investment in the early nineties. Now it is. So so there's a lot of very different things in the world now that were not available then. But, you know, um, as an economist, if I sit back and just take away any political consideration at all, if you look at the current discussion about the trade and the tariff, no economic model can justify it. And, in fact, if this thing does go through, if the NAFTA falls apart, 
the amount of hit that the e various economies going to take is so significant. From an economic perspective of doing cost-benefit analysis, it's really hard to justify. So again, it's the political element that's coming in, and and that's something that I cannot model in the economic but, models. I mean, from from our numbers, over 150,000 jobs in Georgia depend on NAFTA. I mean, are, are, exist right now in Georgia because of the exports that Georgia is sending to Mexico. So I because of California, NAFTA. Texas, and those states. Would in the case greater, of right? those states, I mean, in the case of Texas, Mexico is the number buyer in the world, number one. Right. Yeah. And in the case of California, number one in the world. So it would be a surprise to you that that's why Governor Abbott sent a letter to the U.S. negotiators telling them we need this. This is not something our model that tells Texas us can live that without. It's going to be about 0.5 percent hit on our GDP, and you're like, well, what's the big deal? Our GDP is about 20 trillion for this year. Okay. So we're looking at about $500 billion net loss in economic activities. Well, based on what? John? For the benefit just, of... Just running the simulation. Okay. If we, if we just get rid of NAFTA, what ah. may be a potential impact on the U.S. economy, Got it. which is equivalent to the current trade cash flow between the Mexico and U.S., okay. which is about $500 billion. And, and we're talking, according to some of our numbers, over 5 million jobs in the United States are connected to exports to Mexico. Just Mexico. If we consider Canada into the equation, then we're talking about several more millions of jobs in the United States that exist because of this preferential access to the Canadian and the Mexican market. So we're not talking about a small thing. So we're, we're talking about, you know, the uh, economic impacts of uncertainty and in terms of the uh, you know, business decisions and currency fluctuations. I'm opening it up to the group. John, if you want to take the lead, it's uh, you know, just what specific hedging tools are available in these kinds of circumstances. Uh, before we talk about hedging, I think it's one thing that's really important. I think Jacob may chime in and help me out on this. Um, a lot of folks who are doing business cross internationally, they don't realize that all the transactions that take place in the foreign exchange market, which is about $5.2 trillion a day. That's the amount of currencies bought wow. and sold in the market. And it, we, we just said the U.S. economy total is about $20 trillion a year. So within four to five days in the foreign exchange market, the amount of money that's being bought and sold is equivalent to the entire output of the U.S. economy. That being the case, every transaction that's done in the foreign exchange market, we call it technically OTC transactions, over-the-counter, which means all the prices are negotiated. So a lot of people don't realize that when you call a three different banks – for the same amount of transaction, you're going to get three different pricing because everything is negotiated. In fact, if you call one bank and call, talk to three different traders, you're going to get three different pricing because it's, it's just negotiated for every transaction. And a lot of small to mid-sized businesses, they don't work with multiple banking relationships. In fact, they have one primary bank that provides credit facility. So they're at the mercy of whatever they quote on their pricing. So... At Satempest, we provide the secondary pricing right. as a reference point. Right. That's number one. Number two, most of the businesses work with payment terms of 60, 90 days, whatever it might be. Uh, whatever that is, in the old days, you didn't have to worry about that. Just run the business, get the invoice paid, and you run the business. Nowadays, within three months, let's say you invoice someone overseas, and you're waiting for payment in 90 days. Within 90 days, you could see a currency fluctuations up to 5 to 7%. Hmm. That, that's the norm right now. Well, 7 to 7%. It can be a lot. Th that's about 50% of your expected profit for most of the industries. Hmm. So hedging, when we say, is simply just locking in the rate when you either generate the invoice or generate the purchase order number. So you don't, you don't have to be at the mercy of the foreign exchange market. 
And a lot of, I think there's a bad connotation when it comes to hedging. We think about options and derivatives and uh, synthetic financial instruments and things like that. What we're talking about hedging is simply getting an insurance policy. And there's a minimum cost involved with it. When it comes to forward contract, which is very simple, there's no premium. You simply lock in the rate. And now you don't have to worry about the foreign exchange rates. Well, speaking of worrying or not worrying about foreign exchange rates, when I uh, you know, first started Gozo, we weren't sending that much money to Mexico. So uh, it, it didn't matter to me really what the exchange rate was because it was what it was. And the difference in 5 to 7% um, didn't really matter that much because we weren't dealing with large numbers. But you know, as we've as we've grown, uh, we expanded out, outside of our uh, previous relationships into a relationship with Tempest. And the truth is, is you know, I'm a big believer in let the people who know what they're doing, the experts, do what they do. I was never an expert in foreign exchange, so the last thing I want to do, you know, I'm managing people, I'm, I'm working on marketing and branding and manufacturing, all the things that go into a tequila company is worry about the uh, exchange rate. So uh, it's been really important to, uh, you know, have Tempest essentially worry about it for me, <laughs> if that makes sense. I mean, like you, you said, you're the chief nerd economist. Yeah, That's great. <laughs> you know, I think, I think a company needs that if, if they're dealing but in foreign I, I, exchange. But I do need to give you a disclosure. If you ask me right now, point blank, where, the, where do you think the Mexican peso is going to be 12 months out? I really don't know. Well, at least you're being honest. No, not that being the case. Because <laughs> if, if you said you knew, I'd be like... <laughs> This guy's a liar. I, I worked in Wall Street for a couple of years. But if you tell me, if you had to ask me right now, what's the weather forecast for Atlanta, maybe three days out, five days out, I can give you pretty good, reliable. I, I can tell you the rain or it's not going to rain. If I know that it's going to rain because just based on European model, American model, whether, whatever it might be, then I can suggest maybe you should take an umbrella. And right. that's your insurance policy. Right. So if you work with company specialists like us, we work with a lot of small businesses and let them know what the weather report is going to be for seven days out, 14 days out. Up to 30 days, we are pretty good at it. I mean, we can pretty much tell you, make right. sure you take a jacket, umbrella. Right, right. Yeah, well, that's a good analogy. I mean, working with Patrick – He'll be honest and say, this is what I think it's going to be, which is important. I mean, uh, like you said before, if you said you knew what was going on, I'd, I'd get scared. But there's been more fluctuation than ever. You said yourself, if you could just follow models, you'd be set. You know exactly, hey, this is where the pesos should be trading. But that's not real life. Real life politics do matter, and especially coming up in July uh, with the elections uh, in yep. Mexico, and you have NAFTA, and you have uh, the midterm elections. No one really knows. So no. it's important to have people who um, – who focus on that full time? And just to give you a context, uh, right now one dollar would get you about nineteen pesos. Um, if I take away any political element, just looking at the economic data, it should be about sixteen pesos. So right. extra three pesos, which is about eighteen percent. It's a lot. It's really driven by politics at this point. Right. Absolutely. And which can only get more volatile, I believe. Yes. In I don't the coming think months, there's no limit yeah, to the volatility. Yeah. You can count on I that. I think this we've year. learned. Yeah. yeah. There'll be more big storms coming through. It can the still get more so, ridiculous. So there are things you can count on. Yes. It's going to be more volatility. <laughs> Is there a? There's got to be like a VIX for. Exchange, foreign exchange for currency, right? Oh, yeah, volatility. Now, that's, now, that's what I, I mean. Need to buy. I mean, I am not the expert, and, but but I can tell you, for example, that of course uh, at the beginning of 2016, especially there was a you know there was a currency storm going on in Mexico, yes. and and it has to do, of course, with speculation of what was going on in the United States. Yes. Uh, uh, and of course, there was a frenzy about that time, and the the, 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 the currency and the Mexican currency uh, had had a sharp change in those months. Remember, now it's probably we're probably not. 
probably Americans are not so familiar with this concept because of the, of the way the dollar uh, uh, behaves and how it behaves with other markets. But in the case of Mexico, I can talk about Mexico and other countries, but in the case of Mexico, of course, the, the, the state of the currency is something that goes deeply into the, into the national uh, state, uh, mind. You know? uh, the, the people's perception of the state of the economy of the country is very often connected to how the, the peso is connected in terms of its, its value towards the, towards the dollar. So that means, of course, that uh, uh, about a year ago, uh, this was reflecting not only, of course, uh, uh, global demand of, of currency demand, but it was also reflecting the national, the people in Mexico's the psychology. Uh, psychology exactly. Uh, uh, now, uh, I was I was reading a few uh, a hearing a few uh, a few weeks ago an analysis of people who were doing talking about how uh, during the last year uh, investments uh, in different ways of how do you use your money was the best idea to have done it in, in 2017. There was basically a lot of people who invested in dollars. Yeah. So they started buying dollars as a way of, you know, protecting themselves towards uncertainty uh, against people who, let's say, bu- uh, uh, used uh, their money to buy government bond- bonds or to buy property, you know, in order to do different things with their money to protect their, 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 their capital, basically. And it turns out that most people who did that the strategy of buying U.S. dollars, they lost. Yes, they lost. Um, m- one of the main reasons is Bank of, Bank of Mexico did a fantastic job of raising the interest rate and taming the inflation. Which, which means basically that I think personally that saying that anything can happen, I would not agree with that. Because the Mexican peso has, has had a tendency, and the, Mexican, and, and the Mexican Central Bank, the Banco de Mexico, has, has, has behaved as one of the most stabilizing uh, uh, you know, central banks in the world. And it gives certainty. And that, in, in that, that was sense. one of the reasons why the peso has strengthened 2017, which is about 14%, which surprised a lot of people. And I think those people who invested in the dollars they lost. About a year ago, in Mexico, people were ready to jump out of the... Some yep, people were yep. ready to jump out of the windows of their buildings because the peso was devaluating. And if you take a step back, I'm the first one to say Mexico actually grew last year, about 2.1%. And according to the forecast from IMF, World Bank, despite all these political noise, it will grow about 22 Inflation is coming down. That's why I say fundamentally, Mexican peso should be stronger. But we are not there yet because we're not in fundamental. The- <laughs> yeah, it should be strong. It yeah. should be. But it brings us to the point: what does the future hold? Exactly. For these I, I, two countries. If, I, if you ask me, I mean, I'm, again, I, what does the future hold? Yes, we have some political events coming yeah. up this yeah. year. So what would will that bring? I think will that will bring whatever happens in the elections in Mexico and the United States and NAFTA and all that. That will bring temporary speculation. Yes, that's inevitable. I agree. I agree with that. That will happen. Uh, but the long term, if you look at the things on the long term, uh, uh, we're not that, going, five years, we're 10 not, years. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, I agree. I, I, you know, I, I think Goza's relationship with Mexico and the tequila business in general's relationship with Mexico is as strong as ever. The Consejo Regulador del Tequila, a, a huge presence in Mexico, uh, is as strong as ever. The demand for tequila, for sure, is as strong as ever. I, I do believe that storms will be weathered. Yeah, now that being the case, if we got into a time machine and we're having this conversation about three, four years ago, Mexican peso was about 12 and 13. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and when I started and the company. And we're having the conversation and say, right. we're going to see 22. I think someone would have uh, yeah. said, are you crazy? Uh, yeah, no. When, when I started the company, it was about 12 or 13. I was right. like, this is great. We're at 13. And now we're 12. Exactly. 19, and now I'm down to 18. I'm like, no. <laughs> Why? 
So, you know, you don't know, but I think beyond the exchange rate, I think, you know, there's more to talk about just the actual relationship between the countries. And, and speaking it, of that relationship, I think Javier, you know, Nadia Theodore, the Consul General for Canada, was here last time, mm-hmm. and she was talking about that the EU market treats itself as a block, mm-hmm. trading with the rest of the world. And, and the thing is that the U.S., NAFTA, in North America, you know, being Canada and being Mexico and the U.S., I don't know that Americans, uh, at least in this political environment, appreciate that we are a block that really is a valuable tool to be used. And I don't know what your perception is, how that could be articulated, or what your thoughts are from the Mexican side. You won't be surprised that I agree with Nadia. Uh, (laughs) uh, Of course, I mean, that's totally true. We do not see ourselves or perceive ourselves as part of a block. Uh, uh, And I must say that that includes Mexicans and Canadians. I mean, we as as a region, people in our countries don't perceive themselves as North Americans. You know, we are Canadians, we're Americans, we're Mexicans. We're not North Americans in our psyche. Not not, the same way Europeans are. There's no such a thing as a North American flag. There is, not a, a ba- there is a, a European flag. Yeah, not a bad There's idea. no such a thing as, of course, as, as a common currency. We have never talked about it, and we are, we are not planning to do that. No, we don't see ourselves as a common market. We never did. We never talked about that from the beginning. So all we want is to have free trade and be and 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 free trade. I think the word free trade sometimes uh, creates a misnomer in the sense that it doesn't paint the whole picture. Because yes, we have a free trade area region that we, are, but mostly we are a manufacturing powerhouse. And that's what we really are. And my point being is that, you know, there should be a benefit to understand you should huddle up and say, as a block, we can do things together with the rest of the world that will make us more competitive. We are a regional manufacturing powerhouse that is the most efficient and, the mo- and the probably most efficient re- manufacturing region in the world. We don't think of each other And that, that way. conversation is changing towards that direction because I was at a lunch conference with a whole bunch of traded nerdy economists, as you said. Yep. <laughs> and the you latest, fit right yeah, in. Latest, exactly. <laughs> latest consensus is that the, uh, it's, the world is evolving into G2. It's between U.S. and China. And in order to effectively compete against Chinese manufacturing powerhouse, we do need a more efficient platform on our end. Um, so it's going to be EU, China, U.S. competing as a block. Uh, rather than anything. U.S. alone won't be able to compete against China and that's when it comes to manufacturing. That's what yeah. we thought TPP was about. Good point. A lot of people did. Well, everyone, this has been a fabulous discussion. I just want to say thank you so much for a lively discussion, a really informative discussion. Thank you for some really uh, great insights. Consul General, thank you so much for being here. And, of course, Mr. Goza. Thank you. <laughs> our, pleasure our to be here. Yes. I'm just joking. And then, John, thank, thank you very you. much. I am Mr. Goza. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> it was great. No joke. Thank you. Thank you. On behalf of the Pro Business Channel Networks, we want to thank our guests, sponsors, and you, the audience, for joining us on International Business Radio. This episode made possible in part by Tempest, simplifying global payments in over 130 currencies. For more info, visit TempestFX.com. We invite you to share the show using the social media links here and stay tuned for the next episode of International Business Radio. 